Lord, we come to you so grateful that we can have this day, one day out of every week, just to take a vacation, to rest in you, to encourage one another, to be encouraged by your word, and to be changed by the Holy Spirit doing a good work in each and every one of our lives. I pray, Lord, as this word is brought forth this morning, even though the subject matter may be familiar to some of us, that you would speak a new truth in each and every one of our hearts that would help us know you, to follow you with full-hearted devotion, and to shine your light no matter where we're found by the way we live and move and have our being. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I bring you greetings from Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church of North America. I had the privilege of spending the week with him, as well as Bishop Jackson down in Fort Wayne, Alabama. Alabama. Indiana. I don't think Alabama's in our diocese, is it, Nancy? That wasn't in the geography. Um, it, it was a wonderful time, and I am pleased to announce that our diocese is really on the right track now. If you've, if you've talked to me privately, you know I've been a little frustrated with getting things going. But finally, we are really moving forward. There's a sense of mission. There's a sense of unity that I hadn't sensed before. And uh, we're all together. And we worshiped at Heartland Church, which is a former vineyard church that is coming into the diocese. When it comes in, it's going to be the largest church of the diocese. It's, it's big. They meet in a school. They bought a school. And they built a worship center off of the school. And David Frankie is like 34, the pastor there. And he leads the worship. It's, it's an amazing witness there in Fort Wayne. And uh, it was just so encouraging to hear what the Lord's doing, not only in our diocese and some of our other churches, but around the ACNA and around the world. Because that's where Archbishop Foley goes. He's invited all over the world. And what he did was a teaching that he's really calling the whole Anglican Church of North America as American Christians to a life of personal holiness. We need to hear that, all right? Because our world has gone off the rails, and he called us to be observant in the inner life. He, he noted that we are Trinitarian in our creation, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Trinity. We are Trinitarian you know, body, soul, and spirit. And he focused on the soul, meaning exercising the mind, the will, the emotions, and the conscience, having a clear conscience. And so he's given this talk before, and he invited us to go to YouTube. You want to hear the talk? You can hear it. Go to YouTube, Archbishop Foley Beach. That's not Folly Beach, South Carolina. All right? Foley, F-O-L-E-Y. He's a great guy, and I really appreciate his leadership. And we are represented so well globally by him being our archbishop. And, you know, it, it was just fascinating. Bob went up to him, and he said, you know, hey, Bishop, I noticed in the Apostle. Do any of you get the Apostle magazine? You can. It's a really cool magazine that the ACNA puts out. If you go to acnanglicanchurch.net, you can have it mailed to your house. It's, really, it's a quarterly magazine that comes out about what's going on around the ACNA and around the world. And there's an article in the last episode of The Apostle about Nepal. Now, Bob and Ellie had been to Nepal about 20 years ago. And 
he was fascinated to see the Holy Spirit is working all throughout that nation. Christianity is illegal in Nepal. And yet, Archbishop Foley is invited because he had needed to go do these confirmations because all these people are giving their lives to Christ. It's so cool. And so he went to Nepal, you know, and he's thinking, you know, these little village church, I'll confirm 15 people. So he meets the, the person and his translator there, and the bishop, which was going to meet him there to conduct the service in Nepalese, as is typical in the third world you know, situations, their plane was delayed. So Archbishop Foley had to lead the service, and the translator said, don't worry, I'll translate for you. So he walks into the church expecting 15 people. There's 300 confirmands in a room this big. Okay? And so he goes, this is going to take forever. Thinking very American, right? You know, this is going to take forever, man. How are we going to do this? And and they said, no, no problem. And in Nepal, they just line them up. Just line them up. So they all lined up several layers deep, you know, 50 across, and they got to, they all, you know, said the covenant together, just like we do. And he went up to the very first one and prayed the prayer that's in our prayer book. Descend, O Lord, upon this your servant, so-and-so. And the person just fainted on the ground. You know, he goes, okay. Went to the next one, <laughs> prayed the same prayer. Boom. Now, these people don't have television. They've never experienced the Holy Spirit falling upon them and empowering them for the ministry that God's called them to do. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It wasn't manipulated. They've never heard the term slain in the Spirit. But that's what's happening. The Holy Spirit fell upon them to empower them for the ministry God's called them to do. And as he's praying, they just keep dropping like flies, you know. He got about halfway through and not everybody fell down, but you could sense the Holy Spirit moving in the body of Christ in a powerful and profound way. And every confirmand received a Bible in Nepalese, all 66 books. His favorite memory of the entire trip was an elderly saint, all tatted up and pierced everything, and she's holding the Bible to her chest, and she speaks to the translator and Archbishop Foley said, what did she say? She goes, I have my own Bible. Isn't that beautiful? I have my own Bible. Yeah. And he was so encouraged because one of the young men who had been confirmed was going back to his village. And, you know, he's, Arch, Archbishop Foley is, well, you're going back to your village. And the, and the translator goes, it's a three-day journey back to his village. And as he's going back to his journey, carrying his Bible, he's going to stop village by village by village and share the good news of Jesus. The the Lord is working. The Lord is working. And you might think, why don't we see that here? Why do we have all these empty seats here at Christ Church? Well, are we expecting the Lord to use us that way? Are we going back where we live, work, and playing? open to, sh- to sharing the gospel like our Nepalese friends, okay? We can, we, let's just join the Lord at the work he's doing, be open to it, and I believe the Holy Spirit will use us. Do you think the Lord wants to do that in us? 
Absolutely. Well, let's expect him to, and let's be obedient to the call. Because there's two churches in America which are experiencing profound growth in the Anglican world. The first one that he mentioned was Vintage Church, Los Angeles. That doesn't sound very Anglican. Vintage Church. What's a vintage? It's a fine wine, right? That's how why they named it. They, they recruited a guy from England to come help plant this church. They started with zero three years ago. They're 3,000 today. They don't robe. They don't collar up. They basically do this morning prayer a little looser. Their worship leader is Brenton Brown. Just Google him. Brenton Brown. Very contemporary. Lord reign in me. We've sung it here before. Passionate song. Um, and the guy's a great expositor. Kimmy listened to one of the sermons yesterday. I listened to part of it. I mean, amazing expositor. And they've got three locations now. Malibu, Long Beach, you know. It's just great to see. And they would call themselves Anglicans. That's that low stream, evangelical. The emphasis is on making disciples who make disciples holding up high in Los Angeles. Neat, neat people. All Saints, Peachtree City, Georgia. Isn't that common for Georgia? Peachtree City. Holy Eucharist, right one, pipe organ only. Fully robed, marching around the altar with the smoke, you know, doing all the liturgy they've grown in three years from zero to 1,000. Killing it. That was his words. He goes, they are killing it. You know, and that's not Archbishop Foley. Archbishop Foley is more vintage church type of guy, really. Um, but they're so faithful to the Lord. And I had to ask the question. It was open Q&A with the archbishop. Well, when you got the archbishop, when are we going to see him again? So I had to ask this question when he, after he told us those two stories. I said, Archbishop, what's the common denominator between those two churches? Because they're different looking on the Lord's Day, but what's the common denominator? And he said, that's a good question. And he thought about it for a second. And he said, I have to say that it's the word in Jesus is held high and proclaimed from the pulpit and that the rector and all the people of God love the Lord love one another, expressed in holistic, loving relationships and groups as they're dispersed throughout the week, considering themselves missionaries to the culture because the culture doesn't get this. Right? All Saints is doing that. Vintage is doing that. And we're doing that. Okay? We're doing that. Okay? And so we're, we're, we got 20% higher attendance this time last year. Do you think the Holy Spirit's doing something in us? Amen. And so don't despise smoke. And we're not L.A. And we're not Atlanta. I don't know. Church, churches in Atlanta just grow. You know, in the South, it's crazy. Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. You know? But the reality is we're called to be faithful right here. We'll let the Lord take care of the growth. But as we sing... We sing. We ask the Lord as we're driving here, Lord, show me your glory today. 
and we worship passionately. So that, I, I wanted to say that to encourage you because we're not about churchianity anymore. We're about the living gospel and Christianity because it's good news for each and every one of us. So in this Family Life series, that we're, this journey we're upon these six weeks between Easter and Pentecost, we've been focusing on issues that are important to the West Shore people. People like us. So we started off with marriage, focusing on loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving one another as husbands and wives, and then loving our kids, raising them in a biblical way, not as the world says, which the world scratches its head at. And last week we talked about the paradox of giving the Lord his one vacation day that's due his name. It's paradoxical, so is marriage, you know. How can you have a healthy marriage if all I do is serve that person? How can I have a healthy kid if all I do is lead them in the Christ and, and, all, and do all the things the Lord calls me to do as a biblical parent? It's paradoxical. Well, that's the good news, isn't it? And I got another one for you today. Because we all wish we had a little more, you know? We play the lottery, you know? I still have people come to me, if I win that lottery, I'm going to buy us a building. You know, I'm not counting on it, (laughs) you know, but the point is we all wish we had a little more. And it was hilarious because the Archbishop Foley, while he was giving a talk, just took 15 minutes. He goes, can I talk about tithing? (laughs) What do you say? No, you know, (laughs) he really encouraged every individual in, in the congregations including the clergy, including the diocese and the province, to adopt the 10-10-10 model. That's how we operate in the ACNA. Used to be in the old outfit, you got a tax, which was called an assessment. And it was based on your size. And if you're a church of our size, you're like, Dave would say, the senior warden, this is ridiculous that we're paying all this. What do we ever get from the diocese? Right? That's what every church I served felt that way. The ACNA, we don't want to do that. We're just going to look. The Bible calls for the tithe. And so, as individuals, we tithe to the Lord. The church tithes back to the diocese, and the diocese tithes to the province. Because the province is struggling. (laughs) The diocese is struggling a little. And, you know, individuals do. How can we have financial peace across the province? That's the question, not just for the province, but for us as individuals. So what I'm going to do today is, it's funny that he said that, because I had planned this six weeks ago. I put this as the day we would talk about how can I get a grip on my money? How can I have financial peace in my own life? That the archbishop would say, can I, can I talk about tithing? <laughs> now remember, Jesus talked about money and the reality of hell more than any other two subjects. Okay. And my rector growing up would always say, you can tell you a lot about a person's discipleship if you look at their checkbook. We're going to look at just biblical principles, and I pray that this, this sermon just blesses you as we look at the principles of a biblical steward, because that's what we're called to be. Let's look at these texts. These texts are all in the back of your bulletin. You can flip in your Bibles. I encourage you to do so, but they're also in the back of the bulletin because we're going to bounce around a little bit. The first principle that to get financial peace in God's kingdom 
is to recognize that God owns it all. Psalm 50, verse 10, is a, is a proof text to this. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The rancher might say, those are my cattle. Right? No. Everything we are, 1 Corinthians 6.20, I am not my own, I was bought with a price. Everything we have, the cattle on my cattle on a thousand my hills, are the, belongs to the Lord. We are biblical managers, caretakers. The biblical word is stewards. We have this bizarre notion in the American church. It's my house, it's my car, it's my golf clubs, they're my toting llama boots, they're, you know, my bank account is mine. But as in God's kingdom, where did it truly come from? All from the Lord. And we are merely his stewards. And when that reality strikes home to us as followers of Jesus, it really starts to change your perspective on that bank account, doesn't it? It really starts to change your perspective on your house. And you don't have a problem not doing the home project on Sunday. It's his house. I can come be with God's people on the Lord's day. He'll take care of it as I take care of it under his guidelines, not my own. And it changes your perspective quite a bit. And you start to live differently when you recognize, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, my Chevy is not my own. It's his, and I'm to care for it for him and his glory as I do so. That's the first point. God owns it. It's his. We're stewards. Secondly is, we don't need it all. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I need to say this. Scripture doesn't call borrowing a sin, because it's not. But if you're under a long-term debt, the Bible always equates that to slavery. And with the typical American family having 15000 in just credit card debt, I think we need to rethink the way we do our finances, don't you? I want to put a plug out. We're looking for some leaders who might want to lead Financial Peace University next fall as part of our Wednesday night family night we'll be doing. We'd love to have anybody lead that. It's a great course. You know, Ted's participated in it before. Dave's led it before. You know, and so if you're interested in leading that among us, it's a great program because what it does there is it helps give you a direction on how to get off out of debt. If you go to DaveRamsey.com, uh, Dave's a Christian uh, and has a wonderful testimony of what the Lord did in, his, did in his life and a strategy on how to get out of debt called snowballing your debt. And so, anyway, I want to encourage us. Could you imagine if every single one of us got out of debt what we could do for God's kingdom? You see, those amens tell us we know. We know. And so, therefore, let's start to do it. Let's start to get on that path and get out of bondage that the debt has us in. Third, we give to the Lord of the tithe joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, we also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, we also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The funny thing is Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are wealthy. And he's telling them in the first five verses, he said, I'm sending the Macedonians to you. That would be like Paul writing us a letter saying, I'm sending some people from West Virginia, from the hills. God's doing an amazing work in them. They don't have any shoes and they look like hillbillies, but don't let appearances fool you. They're your brothers and they're your sisters and they're taking this collection to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is starving. That's the parallel, <laughs> okay? And he's telling them, don't embarrass me because <laughs> the generosity of the Macedonians, as you will see, is contagious. And he wants them to give. And notice what he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. The tithe is the standard. It is. It's the standard. All right? Both old and new. However, Paul institutes the grace of the Lord here. Do you notice what? Each one must give according with, in his heart. All right? Because for some, as I say, every stewardship season, the tithe is absolutely unachievable because maybe you're snowballing your way out of debt and you can't get there yet or whatever your situation is some of you are on fixed incomes and that might be impossible but the tithe off the gross of your salary not the net don't cheat the gross everything that we bring in is the lord's it's the first fruits it's the bible it's paradoxical it's the first check we write you don't have checks, automatic giving. We got it. Go through realm. It's there. But for some, that tithe is, you can't do it. For others, the tithe is too little. Because giving should be sacrificial. And the last time I checked, being sacrificed is never fun. It hurts a little. All right? And so, wherever you are, give to the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give grudgingly and work towards that tithe. Last, but certainly not least, don't wait till all your financial affairs are in order before you give to the Lord. Using the example of the widow, verse 44, Jesus is speaking, for all they, the rich, the wealthy that are there in the temple that are putting in the offering blocks, they gave out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. If she gave all she had to live on, how's she going to eat? She's totally trusting the Lord. Archbishop Foley told a story when he was the youth pastor at the Cathedral Church in Atlanta, right out of college. He was fully committed to giving to the Lord, and he committed to the tithe. He came home one day, and he opened up the refrigerator, and there was nothing there. And he said, well, Lord, I guess you've called me to fast. 
he closed it up and he said, okay, I'm, just, I'm a fast tonight, you know. It'd be great to eat, Lord, but um, if you've called me to this, I will do it. The phone rings. There's another couple in the apartment complex that were Christians. Picked up the phone. Hey, Foley, what are you doing tonight? We were thinking of you. Why don't you come on over to dinner? Are you doing anything? No, I'm not. (laughs) He said over and over and over the Lord provided for him as a single youth pastor and as a husband and later a pastor at Holy Cross Anglican and now as an archbishop. He's committed to that. What commitment has the Lord called you to in this managing your money so you can have financial peace? It's not yours. He's called us to this, to give out of our abundance. And you know, we, we read this text every single Stewardship Sunday in November because it reminds us from Malachi 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that so there may be food in my house. And thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's not a get-rich-quick scheme. We didn't, what is blessing? I don't know. It may be a new job. It may just be the contentment of knowing you're walking with and living into the reality of God's love. Because the reality is the action steps and the relevance of this text for each and every one of us Starts with, as we've seen throughout this Family Life series, do I love the Lord with all my heart and my soul and my strength? Do I? Really? Do I do this in my marriage? Do I love my spouse in the way my Lord would call me to love him or her? Do I love my kids by pointing them to the reality of Jesus? Do I love the Lord that I can give him one day out of a week to rest and to listen and quiet my life so I can hear from him so that I can go forth throughout the week to go be a blessing? Archbishop Foley did close. He says, you'll never grow in your faith until you commit to give regularly of your, the, to the tithe as well as your time and your ministry. Usually the tithe is just an issue of your time and your talent. So friends, do we love the Lord in this way? If you keep reading in Deuteronomy, Moses anticipates the children. It's phenomenal. All right, Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Dad, what's the meaning of this? Let's put it in teenager ease. Why are we so weird? Why are you, Dad, why are you, stop, stop. You're just making me uncomfortable the way you love on Mom. That's just weird. Why do we do this? Why Why are we so different than the rest of my, my friends don't behave like this. Why do we always got to go to church? When they ask you that, Moses says, tell them this. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We were slaves, son. 
He brought us out of Egypt, son. And all 40 years he provided for us, son. We're going to be faithful to him now. Son, Jesus died on the cross for me. He loved me first. So I'm aligning all of my life under this one consuming passion to the one who loved me first. Why wouldn't I? Because I was a slave and now I'm free in Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. It's all his. Therefore, we live unto him, snowballing our debt. We're living on a budget. Just go to DaveRamsey.com. they got budget forms, too, there. We print it up every, every single year in November. And let's see the way the Lord blesses us as God's people, because he will give us that financial peace if we will ask for it. It's all a response from the gospel. It's not to earn his favor. It's what he's done for us is why we live this way. Because we were slaves, now we're free. Let's live with this peace in this area of our lives for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, what good news it is for each and every one of us as we seek to follow you. Lord, wherever we are in our finances, I pray that you be glorified in each and every one of us. That, Lord, we would give cheerfully to the cause of the gospel here at Christ Church for your honor and glory. And as we do so, we would get more and more of a grip on the finances that you have entrusted to us so that we would season our lives with the spice of the grace of Jesus Christ so that it would be contagious throughout our region so that we would see this wonderful revival fire continue to spread among us and through us to others as you give us opportunity for in Jesus name we pray amen, amen.